The art and practice of working with the land is everyone's business. The soil under our feet provides unnecessary foundations of food and clothes, determines the health of our body, our country communities, our well-being and our ecosystems. How we interact with it is a powerful tool to ensure a vital future, but who of us truly knows how to regenerate and support it so it thrives? We're our noble farmers, of course. Join me, Jade Miles, from behind the farm gate as we learn a thing or two from those who know. We'll hear the tales and truths of their life's work right here on the Ori Co-op Farmer Stories Pod. With integrity and a deep commitment to their community, Kay and Greg Saranen had been farming and creating their organic skincare range according to permaculture principles for 20 years when in 2019, seven weeks of fires wreaked havoc and finally burnt their land business and take, took their mental health with it. They decided at that point to pack up and start a new life somewhere else. But with just the right help and by taking things really slowly, one year on, they have a renewed vigour for the way they grow and a desire to keep producing their wares and seek new and innovative ways to package, produce and please their exceptionally loyal customers. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. So, oh, good. Um, so my name is Kay Saarinen and um, I have a business called Eco Seed to Skin by Saarinen Organics. And uh, we actually grow our certified organic herbs on our permaculture farm and we create our eco skincare from the herbs that we grow with 100% standalone solar power. So it's a totally closed loop. It is. Well, pre-fires it was totally closed, <laughs> but um, we've had to improvise a little bit, but um, pretty much, yeah, that's, that's our whole concept. And you've found that you've also got some really beautiful long-term uh, buyers and loyal followers on site as well? I do, actually. We've been so well supported. We've been manufacturing for about 15 years now. We've been on our property for 20 so, um, yeah, we've, we started local and uh, we were so well supported with our local um, uh, customers that it's been, you know, they've supported us so we've been able to grow. Mm, isn't that amazing? And how did they go through the fires? Did they continue to support you? Uh, they did. Oh, it was such a hard, um, it was a really hard time for, for everybody basically um, in the community, um, all the markets were cancelled, of course, because um, you know there was just it was being threatened everywhere. So we did lose a lot of our our income, and of course, all the tourists um, got evacuated on New Year's Eve. So we lost our sort of summer trade as well. But we were lucky that we got into uh, spend with them. You know that um, the Instagram um, girls that did that. The, this isn't the, the Yeski? Uh, the, so the Yeski came along a little bit later, I think, but Spend With Them was um, incredible. They just started it up for um, bushfire-affected uh, small businesses and because our products, of course, being organic, they've got a shelf life. Yeah, of course. And we had just geared up um, uh, for and manufactured massive amount for like, oh, you know, the Christmas already. trade. I know. Then all of a sudden, we had to evacuate everything out of the out of my lab and all of the the products, regardless if it would burn down or not. Um, if the uh, we weren't here to regulate the cool room, and you know, it got up to like forty five, forty five degrees. 
So um, we had to evacuate all that. We had to move it and we couldn't find a cool room, of course, to, to put it all in. And Ben with them came to the party and oh, far out. It was incredible. We, we moved pretty much all of the stock that we needed to move. Wow. And yeah. you were able to um, rescue it and then move it really quickly. Yes. Yeah, it was incredible. We would be, we would be at home on the farm um, fighting for the farm, getting preparing the farm and then we'd get an evacuation notice and we drive our products were 45 minutes away mm-hmm. so pretty much an hour away because it was so smoky we had to drive pretty slow but um and we would get there at like you know 10 o'clock at night and um i'd get there and turn on my phone and we bing 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 and be all these orders <laughs> and we'd work <laughs> we would work until like two three o'clock in the morning i think the the most greg did was two uh, supermarket trolley loads down to the post office. Wow. <laughs> oh, so you were working around the clock. You were either fighting bushfires or on edge for waiting for bushfires or actually trying to make your business sustainable and continue. Well, that's exactly right. Like, and, you know, insurances don't, you know, um, cover things like loss of product because the cool room um, malfunctioned because of the heat mm. um, or the fires. So, um, yeah, we... I had to, we had to save the business, our property. It wasn't great for our mental health, but mm. we were so on edge, we just couldn't sleep anyway. Mm. And you were in it together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, a few ups and downs as husbands and wives do in traumatic experiences. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest, it's not smooth sailing. <laughs> Under pressure, it's always going to be a little bit harder. harder. It was, it was. We we had our moments, but the main thing was that we majority, it, majority of the time, we we um, were on the same page and stuck together. Greg's a, a volunteer firefighter as well, so he was, you know, burning the stick at both ends, and yeah. And so you had been doing this for quite a number of years before the fires. What has yeah. what has changed? Because it's not business as usual. Post-fire no. has had to look quite different. In what way? Um, uh, it was, Jesus Christ, it's been such a roller coaster ride and, and here we are, what, a year and a half, I think it's been now. Mm, nearly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was, a lot of things have changed and a lot of things we've actually regressed back onto. Mm. Um uh, I think after the fires, we were because the place, um, after putting 20 years into a permaculture system, mm. and come back, it, it wasn't like our home anymore. It was it was like a war zone, really. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, Greg's uh, 58, and I'm 50, and yeah, it was a bit like it was. The property was at that point that it was the closed systems, that it was, you know, it was very little input from us. We'd finished the fencing and all the irrigation was in, all the systems were in. It was really good. And um, to that mindset of, oh, my gosh, we now have to go back and redo. Mm. Yeah, we were at a place where we were just starting to coast a little and get a little bit excited and creative about what our business looked like rather than all the infrastructure startup stuff. Yeah, yes, and now yes. we're going to do it all again. And so were there plenty of people that were ready and waiting to put their hand out to help or did you just feel like you were in a community of people who were also 
devastated and decimated that no one had capacity to support others. You know what? That's you know a bit of both. Um, all the all the local people, you know, everyone was just so beside themselves from the trauma um, in Wyndham, where we are. We were literally the last farm and area to burn before the rains came, mm. uh, four days before the rains came, and uh, so we had uh, a month and a half of it of um, waiting. We yeah, we had seven evacuations. Oh. And the town was surrounded by three fires that would just, they would pump. They would, um, they would just, they the poor, the poor people, they just didn't, the fire is, there just wasn't the resources um, to put them out. Mm. Um, so it was just literally we would get phone calls and say, you know, there's no one coming, there's no help, um, there's no resources, there's no money. Um, if you stay, you will die. You know, don't. You're on your own. You're on your own, basically, and and having that constantly, constantly, you know, being told that mm. your whole livelihood under your feet and the desire to be with it to fight for it. Yeah, like there was at, at one um, one stage, our fire crew um, they didn't even have any fuel. They had to actually go and steal, like, siphon fuel out of a, um abandoned drop. Mm. There was just, there wasn't even any fuel for, for the fire trucks. So we were really, really on our own. And we weren't the only uh, township that was on their own. There was a lot of other townships that were on their own as well. And I think that sort of, like, breeds a little bit of, like, wow, you know, you pay your taxes and, <laughs> you know, you, you do all the right things and then when it comes when when it comes to the crunch, there just wasn't enough resources. You know, you hear all about all this money being donated and hear about all this, you know, um, uh, the government saying all these things, we're going to support, we're going to support, and it's, well, where was it? <laughs> mm, when it really but, you boils know, down to it, there was just so much going on right across the country, wasn't there? I think so, and so I think by the time it was over and we started to get into, okay, realisation of what had happened and it was over, and but then it you know, was um, getting into recovery, the community, I think, was so drained and so tired that there just wasn't any support. If anything, people imploded. There was lots of fights and there was lots of, um, you know, just people were just, either isolated themselves or they just went it came out all guns blazing. So it wasn't a very strong – it basically broke the community. A lot of people have actually moved away as well since. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got a lot of offers from a lot of people. Once they just wanted to help, I suppose, because it was on the news a lot. It was so visible and it was so um, – sensorially visceral you know even people who weren't in the in the front of it were experiencing smoke haze for days and days and uh, the exhausting heat was relentless sort of no matter where where you were and yeah you're right it was so visible in all of the media outlets yeah and we uh because well we didn't have any phone service here or internet or all of those um things weren't here and um so it wasn't until we would go into town and our phone would just go bonkers <laughs> <laughs> all of these messages on our mobile phone and 
and emails and of all these wonderful people that wanted to help. But it was overwhelming. We didn't we didn't know what we needed. We were just so, uh, you know, just coming exhausted, coming to terms with it. That, um, and I didn't even get back to a lot of these people. I did just like a general Facebook post and thank you so much, everyone, for your offers. But we just, you know, we've got to sort of work out what we need, I suppose, first. And there was this one lady that kept on like, um, calling and messaging and I said to Greg, you know, I've got to get back. I've got to get back to this lady. Um, she really, you know, really needs to get in contact with her. And that was the best phone call I made ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that was to Carolyn from Oracle. Yeah, look, she's amazing. And um this is the Oricorp Farmer Stories pod, so it's not like we need to be uh, all hail to Carolyn, but um, she is incredible and she has an incredible understanding of when people are in need, how incapable they are of making everyday decisions and how she can gently and relentlessly continue to just be there as that really strong, stable support. It was it was incredible. It was um, a little bit emotional thinking about like it. Um, she was just that little uh, an, <laughs> an angel almost, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting like because Greg and I, we were so traumatized by it that we had decided that we just didn't have it in us to redo and get the farm back to where it was that we decided that sell. Mm-hmm. Let's just. Get the house because the house didn't burn down. It was um, heat affected and um, it um, needed to get fixed up. So we lived in a caravan for two months while we were fixing the house up. And um, we just said, okay, let's just get the house livable and let's sell. Let's go. We just can't cope with it. And uh, yeah, with Carolyn's um, support, and getting uh, um, uh, gifting us the um, organic chemist to have a look at our soil samples and giving us helping us with a roadmap back. That support was just it turned us around actually, and we went, oh, hang on a minute, we don't have to do this by ourselves. Mm. There <laughs> and is someone who gets it and they understand that I'm struggling to make a cup of tea and they'll make the right decisions for me because I can trust them and they understand what I need. Exactly, and Gia had the, um, the organic chemist that um, we got in contact with through Carolyn. Um, he gave us like a roadmap. It was literally, okay, next week go out and put, we'll send this to you. Just go out and put this. Okay, it was great. We didn't have to think about it. <laughs> it was mm. right, go out and put that on the soil. Okay, go out and put that in the soil. Okay, so the and roadmap was really prescriptive. Yeah, yeah. It and, was, and he held your hand and he took you through step by step and he made the decisions on your behalf? Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much so. Uh, because, and because, too, we were in such a closed system that we had sort of lost touch of all the inputs. Back in our day when we first started, there weren't many organic inputs or much information out there without paying incredible amounts of money. Um to find out, so we made our own, like, you know, we made our own herbal um, tinctures to put into, you know, infusions to put into the soil and, um, you know, we're stinging nettle and comfrey and, um, 
uh, horse manure from the horses from our land and the chooks and we had we were just doing it <laughs> and the soil we built that soil up over 20 years of you know composting by hand by with wheelbarrows and shovels <laughs> wow, <such laughs> picking a, up no wonder you were daunted by the idea of having to rebuild it all well exactly you know going you know every morning for years and years and years I would go around with them uh, a wheelbarrow and a shovel and just pick up all the pony poo and then go put in the compost, hand turn it, <laughs> put onto the garden, and you know all that, all that sort of stuff. And we've got a, we had an enclosed system with, um, we had a, we've got a ball that's got a solar system on it, and it pulls water out and puts it up to, pumps it up to the gra- uh, the top tank, which gravity feeds down to the duck pond. They poop in it, and then we pull the plug, and that was our liquid fertilizer. Wow. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. But I'm hoping that what Gerhard told you was that all of that is still, in essence, there, even though the stuff on top isn't, because the soil still holds all of that. Yeah, yeah. So the first, uh, I, I think because um, the, we actually got hit by two fires on one day. Right. And, and right where we crop. Like, oh. <laughs> like, they literally met there and rushed up the hill. So it burnt so hot that um, the soil was, um, I think for the first uh, 10, 15 centimetres, was literally dead. Mm. He had other names for it, but that's how I sort of you know, put it into layman terms. Right. But it was, and it had become, it had burnt so hot that the sand, because it's sandy lime down there on the creek flats where we crop, um, the sand had almost like turned into silica, so it was um, water repellent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you put water on it, it just mm-hmm. beaded. Hydrophobic. Mm. That's the word. Mm. <laughs> so it was, oh, far out. It was like, you know, we just couldn't get our heads around how on earth would we get that back and, you know, doing it. We just couldn't um, go back to, you know, 20 years ago when we were a lot younger and fitter. But and we didn't realise, but but this opened up uh, has opened up a whole new world. And just getting back to how has our business changed? Like we're now more open to oh wow, there's a lot of help out there. There's a lot of inputs that we can actually do on our farm that's going to make our life easier and expedite the process of our soil health. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of. So it's changing. The, it's changed the way that we farm too, for the better. I think. Okay. Actually. So what does that look like? It's really hard to have a conversation with someone who's just been to hell and back with two fires converging on your cropping area mm. on exactly the same day after seven weeks of hell, mm. to then hear you say, "But actually, possibly there's a silver lining." What does that silver lining look like? So it's actually. Um, We've, we've put the fence, we've rebuilt all the fences um, in places that we wished we had of for number one. So it's the farm is now easier to get around. Um, and there were a few fences that needed probably fixed as well. So they're all, um, all the old fences are being pulled out. We uh, were lucky enough to, we got a grant to help us. Um, cut down all the dead, burnt trees. Mm. Yeah, which is confronting and it allows you to remove the evidence. Well, I think that was part of it too. Like Greg and I just went into this 
big, big thing of we just want to get rid of everything that's burnt. We just want to get back to a clean slate. Mm, that seems a pretty common story. It's a very strange place to be in your head, I think, because um, you, you do you absolutely flog yourself because it's a mammoth effort. Mm. And uh, and we still haven't finished. We, we're still uh, – we've only got one – little fence to go. We've got to pull one last burnt fence out, but it's the easiest. We left the easiest for last. <laughs> <laughs> the reward system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, well, that is a mammoth effort in such a short amount of time. It's, it has. You know, our mental health has sort of like, you know, um, uh, reflected back on that. So we're now working on ourselves, but um, uh, which is really good. But uh, look, there's a lot of, there's actually quite a lot of silver linings. Um, number one, like having um, contact with a soil scientist and, and um, gosh, there's so many amazing inputs out there like um, soil microbes that you can actually you know, put back into the soil. Um, we're going to keep on getting our soils um, tested. There's, mm-hmm. We're doing, um, we're getting compost. Our Fogo compost delivered now instead of making our own compost. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're actually going to be buying machinery to, to help us um, get there as well. To, um, and we never, ever thought that we would ever buy machinery. <laughs> Is that just to expedite the, the physical um, farming requirements? Yeah, yeah. So because um, our property is quite steep and so to get um, the Fogo compost delivered, it's got to be delivered up the top of the farm and it's got to get transported down to um, the uh, creek flat. And you don't want to do that with a wheelbarrow? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, in my days of uh, going around and picking up uh, pony poo, uh, you know, it's um, I'm now so busy because the our business has um, was going was accelerating pre fires. I spend a lot of time um, on the computer and in my lab manufacturing. I don't have the time to go out and pick up the pony poo. Pony poo. So Greg's got this little um, pony poo picker upper that goes on the back of the lawnmower. <laughs> The ride on lawnmower and he picks it all up. And, oh, magic uh, of automation, I tell you. I tell you what. So you know, and that so that has changed. That that's been a big change, and we've realised that it's a good change. Like we were so alternative, we were um, too alternative. I think <laughs> we can it, do it all ourselves, but yeah, it's not so sustainable. Some, yeah, sometimes it's it's really um, jarring to actually look at it objectively and go, "Oh, there might be another way." Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so we've uh, we've just bought um, a because um, we actually we were quite lucky. We got um, the RAA loan. Which just, is, just explain a little bit more about that. So the RAA loan is um, to help you get back to where you were, mm-hmm. and uh, like we did have a few. Um, uh, bits and pieces of machinery, but they were very old, and you know we bought them secondhand, and so insurance didn't cover any of that. So um, the RAA loan is to to help you get back to where you were. So we we are able to buy these machines. Mm. So we actually just bought a. Um, it's actually it's a the loan is um, uh, quite good. It's for the first two years you don't pay anything, and then you've got. 
Um, and that's based so on the assumption that for the first two years you're in the absolute thick of it and you haven't actually got time to come up for air and look around and work out how to how to start to make those sorts of business decisions and repayments. Yes, exactly. And uh, and we've always like worked first and then bought. We've never gone into debt for the business. We've never gone into debt for the farm. Mm-hmm. We've always made the money first and then. But uh, far out, like, you know, we, oh, my goodness, the amount of money to do that the way we used to do it, it's just, you know, that's another 10, 15 years before we get back. Yeah, that just wasn't realistic. Do you no. feel like um, even though everything was expedited and you've had this ability to kind of leapfrog ahead and not have to repeat the 20 years that you have already just done, do you feel like your customer base has come with you and perhaps even expanded? Your product is so beautiful and um, has it been an opportunity to get your the knowledge of your product out there? I think so. I, I do because uh, we got um, the project from Channel 10. They came down and did a story um, on us too, which put us out there um, in mainstream. And um, definitely because I think we were so raw as well and we sort of told our story as, as we went um, on, on social media platforms. Excuse me. So... Um, I think people had that real connection and, and they did. They, uh, I think it was another silver lining mm-hmm. of um, people wanting to help. And um, like I, I, I think I, <clears throat> I remember doing a, a post of saying, like, you know, we don't want a handout um, to support us. That's all we need is, you know, to um, purchase our products and, and keep that sort of support going. Mm, yeah, and maintain the fire in your belly once all of the media hype dies down. Just continue to be real and continue to support us. I often think that about all food system things. People get on board when it's exciting or when there's a sense of galvanised energy around it and then as soon as the hype dies down, everyone goes back to their everyday habits. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And that's, uh, you know, we were a little, a little bit um, anxious about that too, um, of you know, it was we got really well supported. We sort of like went, you know, our sales actually increased, and they they stayed increased for a while, and they are starting to um, to um, pivot down, mm, find the natural place again. Yeah, so it's going back down to probably where we were <clears throat> pre-fire. So yeah, it, it's um, it is a, a hard thing. So now. Um, but we, we feel like we can relax a little bit. We don't have to really um, go out and chase a lot of markets now that we've got um, the loan mm. that we can actually get into fire recovery and um, and really nail it and get our crops back and and, to, and keep telling that story too because um, we get it getting our crops back too. I think is huge. Mm. Huge. Yeah, because <laughs> it takes you back to that mindset of you being in control of every element of the supply chain and and um, the growing practices and the philosophy that sits around everything that you do in your day to day. Yeah, yeah. That's your rhythm. I think that's the other thing that people underestimate is that your rhythm and your daily ritual and the way in which you operate has just been decimated. Your identity has been smashed. Your expectation yep. of what tomorrow will bring has been yep. smashed. You've got no confidence in 
the everyday norm because it doesn't exist anymore. What you've done for so long rhythmically has just been taken from you. Do you feel like, um, and I, I think I know the answer to this already, but do you yeah. feel like um, now with the support that you've had to get back on your feet, even though it's only 18 months later and you're only just coming up for air, that there's been a real galvanised desire to get back into the farming side of things? Absolutely. It's it because uh, it you know, the farming side of things, that's what that's what our passion that's where our passion lies. And it became our purpose to make uh, you know, an eco sustainable income that it was our first passion was to, you know, live an eco sustainable lifestyle and farming, um, and looking after ourselves. That's you know, it's still in there that fire in the belly is still in there and uh, we're just chomping at the bit we just want to stop fencing (laughs) we just want to stop fixing yeah stop fixing up the shed and stop you know we want to stop doing all that sort of stuff and get back into you know we still haven't got the irrigation sorted yet or anything like that but um but yeah we just want to get back into the soil and we've because we've with gear we've just been doing um a quarter of the area is our trial crop, mm-hmm. just so we can get a really good, you know, five-year plan from that. Yeah, so five years feels like a blink, but it feels yeah. like 100 years, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all rolled into one. And um, especially for someone who's just come out of 20 years of having done it and was at the point where they thought they were at a tipping point to have to then go back and do five years. But actually, we're already 18 months in and your yeah. mental health has stabilised and your ability to make decisions for everyday uh, life and business has stabilised and your desire to be there is really clear and true. What yeah. next? So we're actually going forward. Uh, we're uh, building a, a packaging reuse um, little centre on our property. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, the biggest thing, um, I think, responsibility of um, someone of businesses like ours where we produce a product to try and get, you know, be responsible for the packaging. Mm -hmm. So you're researching the types of packaging or you've found someone who's done that and you're bringing it in and just implementing it on your farm? Well, I actually was lucky enough to get into um, Innovate and Grow with CSIRO, um, a program. Um, it was a, a six-week program um, of trying to work out um, things like this. So uh, we've worked out how to um, get the packaging back from the customers and put it through a sterilisation system. Wow. And, yeah. And, um, All glass. So, so yeah, look, we're um, we've got glass bottoms, and we've also got aluminium bottles, and we've got plastic um, lids. We just can't get away from the plastic um, lids, but we think we've worked out a way through uh, working with Cyro of sterilising the plastic lids as well. Wow! But we hope to in the future. <clears throat> To get those plastic lids to be able to chip them ourselves and remold them back into um, back into lids, and that's all on farm. All 
on farm. We want to do this all. And we've just put in, and this was through uh, the loan as well, we just put in um, an $85,000 solar system to do it. You are amazing. I can't imagine the clarity of Headspace. You know, you've just come out of something that's massive and you've got this real glean and focus. Oh, I know. I think um, uh, for me, for my mental health, I have to, I'm very much of a future thinker. Mm, Have to have the next thing that excites you. Exactly. And, um, you know, and I've got a real, both Greg and I have got a real passion to, you know, for eco-sustainability, but true eco-sustainability, you know, no greenwashing. We're not about that. And that's also part of our five-year plan too that um, we're hoping to build um, here um, a a bigger factory. We actually want to do a bigger factory. We've outgrown my lab um, and have like a little cafe area too and do farm tours. Mm, And share it. Yeah, peer-to-peer learning and um, consumer education. Exactly. So people can come here. They can come and see that you know, it's all rigid. That we're you know we're transparent, what's and all. We're not doing it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> You're as real as they come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, come and you know, uh, I'm sure we'll probably get some ridicule in you know, uh, in some aspects. But you know, we're doing it as best as we can, and uh, for people to come and and I think that connection to that people would have that connection to the property and solidarity and that comes with that. Just sharing is really enriching, isn't it? Absolutely. And pre-fires, we were already testing and measuring uh, that sort of uh, business model. And uh, we've had um, a school called MLC from Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, they have got a, um, at Malakuta, they've got a, um, a outreach school there where the girls go and uh, live alternatively with them. We, yeah, with sustainability. They learn everything about sustainability and they actually were coming out to our farm. And so will they continue to come? So uh, unfortunately with COVID, they haven't been able to come since uh, the fires, but we've been going down to Marshmead. And, which um, is the name of the, of the camp? Yeah, which is the name of the camp at Malakuta. And uh, with slides of our farm and talking to them about sustainability and permaculture and, and also we make a, um, make a product as well. With the girls? Yeah, with the girls. Yeah, yeah, they love it. I bet they do. And I bet you do too. It's really, really rewarding to see the, the smile on their faces when they've not only learned a skill but taken something beautiful away. It is. Uh, it, it, it is. It, it's lovely to, um, you know, when we start um, talking to them about food and about permaculture and, and then about, you know, you know what, you can actually make stuff yourself as well. It's not that hard. And here you go, let's, let's go, let's make something. To, to take home and yeah they're right into it oh and about smelling and feeling and um tasting things and we make a we just do something you know really quite simple we just make a bath salt um a herbal bath salt with them but uh, oh yeah they love it it's like um it's like sensorial sovereignty isn't it i've been talking a lot in the last few days about short supply chains of all things and it's like taking ownership of your senses as well <laughs> and knowing how your senses are experiencing things and where it's coming from and and what the outcome will be absolutely yep i mm. love it Okay, you guys, I've worked with you over the last uh, few months, well, really over a year, on our regular catch-ups for bushfire-affected 
organic and biodynamic farmers and you have always had these beautiful, warm, generous buoyancy and positivity about you. So it's so incredible to hear you start from the beginning and take us through what the last 20 years have been, what the last 18 months have been. I would love you to to wrap us up by... It's never easy to give one pearl of wisdom, (laughs) but by giving perhaps one exactly that pearl of wisdom that those who are listening to this possibly in a situation similar to yours next month, next year or or in 10 years, what would you say to them to maintain a level of buoyancy and hope that you seem to have uh, exuded throughout the last couple of years? Oh, I love it. I love that sort of question. Um, Definitely follow your passion and your purpose will come from it. And I think when things do go pear-shaped, you've got that passion. It's something that you can't control. It's just inside you. And it is the thing that will just bubble up and come out naturally and give you the energy and the focus to keep going. That's beautiful. You're a gem. What have you got, well, on, your, what have you got on your cards today? Well, actually, today we are looking at packaging, <laughs> Greg and I. <laughs> That's our business. Which um, actually sounds really exciting to you. Actually, it does to me too because I know that it's it not everyday packaging. No, we're actually looking at bamboo because um, bamboo is a really good renewable um, uh, product. So we're going to do a little bit of stability testing on it actually. And uh, looking at getting the labels actually burnt onto the onto the bamboo. Wow. Yeah, which will take out because at the moment we're using um, plastic based um, labels, mm. and I don't like it. <laughs> mm. It's so hard, isn't it? Every element of the supply chain just comes with some kind of packaging or non renewable resource. Absolutely, and. Um, and we just want to keep on, you know, and it does, you know, when you start off, it is the price point as well. Mm. Um, you know, you do, we started off with, um, uh, we went straight into glass and aluminium. And at the time, we were on the coast, um, literally the only people using aluminium um, bottles because of the price. I think they were... When we first started off, I think they were like $3.50 each. Oh, wow. Yeah, big. But they are the best source of packaging to to recycle because a magnet can go over the rubbish and pick it up. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's all those little things. Oh, you're going to have all the intimate details on how to manage waste and how to manage uh, packaging that works for the future. Yep. Maybe we'll do a whole other pod on that in a couple of years' time when you've got it nailed. Thanks for listening and, of course, thanks to the Organic Regenerative Investment Cooperative for their support in sharing these important farmer stories.